You are listening to the Akron Abide Bible Study Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Akron Abide. He says, rejoice in the Lord, verse 1. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. So the Apostle Paul says, beware, beware, beware. Three different times. And in a sense, really, you want to know what Paul is saying there? Beware of the joy stealers. If you ask me to summarize verse number two, Paul is saying, beware of the joy stealers of life, because there were these people that were taking the joy away from the church at Philippi. And that brings me this morning to the title of my message, and that is embracing authentic joy. Embracing true, authentic Christianity and true, authentic joy, and also unmasking the joy stealers of life. Identifying the joy stealers in our life. Because just as Paul wanted the Philippians to be on guard against those who would hinder their faith and steal their joy, we also need to be aware of the joy stealers in our lives and in our churches today. Because I want you to know today, this world is full of joy stealers. This world is full of people that are trying to take your joy away. And sadly, this world is full of false teachers that will try and steal your joy. And and behind them all is a miserable devil whose only delight is to steal, kill, and destroy. And we need to be aware of this today. We need to be aware of this in the 21st century because I want you to know this morning, man, being a Christian, it's overwhelmingly wonderful. It's the greatest thing in the world. Joy in the Christian life is awesome. But there are forces at work in your life that oppose joy. And they work overtime to fuel fear, anxiety, and condemnation. And when this happens, it's easy for us to descend into discouragement and to fall away from Jesus. That's what happened with this church. But remember now, in the middle of the bad news, there is always good news. The Bible contains the negative, yes. The Bible contains bad news, yes, but there is always good news in light of the bad. And that's what we see in Philippians chapter three. In Philippians chapter three, we see rejoicing, we see joy, we see a warning, but then we see a remedy. You see, in Philippians chapter three and verses one through three, we find the apostle Paul identifying the three joy stealers of life and also teaching the church at Philippi how to overcome those joy stealers, how to overcome the false teachers in life. And that's what we're gonna look at today. All right, we're gonna look at three joy stealers and one joy supplier in our life today. I've got four points, all right? And the first joy stealer that we need to focus on today, I like to call this forgetful Christianity. Forgetful Christianity would be the first joy stealer in our life. And and that's what we see in verse number one of our text. Look at how he begins. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, right? We've looked at that. We established that last week. But then he goes on to say this. He says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. So before Paul transitions into a new subject in Philippians chapter three, a new topic, he begins by reminding them of some things. He reminds them of some important doctrinal truths that they need to remember. 
And that's something that we need to understand as a church today. The reason why we preach the whole Bible is because doctrine is important. Understanding what we believe and why we believe what we believe is so important to Christianity because we need to beware of the joy stealers. We need to beware of a false doctrine that can infiltrate our lives and take away our joy. And so he reminds them of some of those important doctrinal truths. But he says to write the same things to you. So he reminds them of something that they've already heard, something that Paul had already taught them. Now, now why is that? All right, why does Paul remind them again of something that he's already taught them in this letter and already taught them as pastor? Why? Well, it's because it's easy to forget those things, right? It's easy for us to forget the truths found in God's word. It's easy for us to forget what God has done for us personally, what God has done scripturally speaking. It's easy for us to forget who we are in Jesus Christ, right? We are forgetful people today. In fact, I found this interesting. Studies show that only 30% of congregants will remember this sermon that I'm preaching right now. A week later, only 30% of you. 70% of you will forget by Monday, studies find. We are forgetful people today. And, and I want you to know, this is one of the main joy stealers of life. Forgetfulness. Forgetting the doctrine. Forgetting who we are in Christ. And false teachers thrive on forgetfulness because they want you to follow their teachings. They want you to be confused and give in to their false doctrine. And, and if we forget the teachings of God's word, it's, it's easy for us to get, to get caught up and swept away. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. He said, the devil doesn't fill us with hatred for God, but with forgetfulness of God. And I would agree with that. The majority of the times where, where our joy has in a sense, been stolen or, or we've lost our joy, it's because we have forgotten God in our life. Forget, forgetful Christianity is one of the main robbers of joy. And understand this now, this is ins insane to think about. The church at Philippi was no different. All right, think about this now. They had a literal apostle as their pastor. 10 years ago, he was their pastor. For three years, he was there teaching them sound doctrine. What happens? Over the years, they forgot. And so Paul writes to them and reminds them in order to keep their joy. No matter how long you've been into church, no matter who you are, forgetful Christianity can creep in in our life. And so what Paul does here is Paul reminds them of some things. He says to write the same things to you. And he gives a reminder. We see that he reminds them to rejoice first off, right? He says in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, right? And I, I covered that last Sunday. I'm going to cover that again this Sunday. And I'm going to cover it again in a couple of weeks because we need a reminder to rejoice in the Lord. We need a reminder to have joy. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is saying that exact same thing here. You see, this is actually the 11th time the Apostle Paul mentioned joy or rejoicing in this letter. 16 times total, 16 times in 104 verses, the Apostle Paul references joy and rejoicing. And this is the 11th time right here. You see, joy is the theme of this book. Joy is the theme of the Bible. We can have joy in our life today. And we need to remember that. We need to be reminded of that. And the reason why Paul reminds them again and again and again, and the reason why we need to remind ourselves again and again and again 
is because it's easy for us to forget to rejoice. It's easy for us to forget the promises of joy that we can have when the going gets tough, right? And I want you to know today, you're going to go through some trials in life. The Christian life is filled with problems. It's filled with trials. And, and when those trials come, it's so important for us to stop and rejoice and understand that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's easy for us to forget, right? And so he reminds them, he says, we are to rejoice always. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That's the first reminder. But then he continues and, and gives more reminders as he goes on throughout this text, and he starts to deal with some doctrinal truths. And the reason why Paul reminds them of some of these doctrinal truths is because he wanted to reassure them. So he reminds them for the purpose of reassurance here, and that's what we see in the back half of verse number one. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, it's not troublesome, but for you... It is safe. Now, Bible scholars have different ideas of what that phrase, the same things, is referring to. Some people think that it's referring to what Paul taught the church at Philippi when he was pastor of the church. Some people think it was a letter that he wrote that isn't in the canon of Scripture. And some people think that it's dealing with what he was writing about from Philippians chapter 1 up to this point. Depending on the commentary that you read, you get a different idea of what this is referring to. And, and honestly, my personal belief is he's dealing with all of them. He's dealing with both. I don't know why there has to be a debate about that. You see, pastors have a habit of repeating themselves, right? I hit some of the same verses every single week. Jesus came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You can have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I hit the same things over and over and over again. Paul, you find him in his letters hitting the same things over and over and over again. Now, why? It's because repetition is key. Repetition is the key to learning. Repetition is the key to the Christian life. Repetition is key to safety. And that's why Paul says to write the same things to you, to me, is, it's not grievous. It's, it's not troublesome because it's for your benefit. Dude, I will hit this again and again and again. I will hit these doctrinal truths a hundred times over because I know that it will help you. That's what Paul is saying there. And it will. We see the safety in repetition here in verse number one. He says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. You look up that word safe in the Greek and it means security or certainty. In other words, the same truth that Paul was repeating would give them the security or the assurance to confirm their faith. And that's so important in the Christian life because we need to understand what we believe and why we believe what we believe. So when false doctrine comes in, we can confirm and understand what we believe and then identify the false teachers and the joy stealers of life. So that's why he's saying, beware, beware of these things. But the way to overcome these things is know what you believe. Be reminded, repetition, study the scriptures. And the same truth applies to us, guys. The more we read, the more we reflect, and the more we remember God's word, the more we are reminded of the truths found in scriptures, man, the stronger we will be in our faith in Jesus Christ. Consistency is key. Repetition 
consistency. Read the Bible, study the scriptures, be faithful to church. You guys are doing that today, guys. That helps you so much. And so that's the first identification of, of a joy stealer here. He says, beware of forgetful Christianity. Don't forget the teachings. Take heed to scripture, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember who we are in Christ. That's the first joy stealer. But then the second joy stealer is this. The first one is forgetful Christianity, but then the second one I call false Christianity. False Christianity. And this is where it gets kind of tough. This is where the Apostle Paul really doesn't hold back any punches. And we find out there is a connection here between forgetful Christianity and false Christianity. I mean, remember now, the, the context in verse number two of, of beware is in the same sentence, in the same conversation as verse one, to rejoice in the Lord and to write the same things to you, indicating that a forgetful Christianity will lead to us being more vulnerable to false Christianity, to false teaching. And that's why he says in verse two, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Three different times that word is mentioned. Now, when you see something three different times, it's important to understand exactly what it means. You look at that word beware, it means to be aware, to look at, or to look out for. So Paul is saying, all right, church, you need to be on the lookout for false teachers. You need to be on the lookout for false doctrine because false teachers were infiltrating their church. False teachers were affecting these people in a negative way. They were leading them astray. And this tells us that false teachers not only exist in this world, but they also have influence in this world. They were influencing this church at Philippi. Those people were saved. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. They had a strong relationship with Christ, but when false teachers came, they were influenced. And he's saying, you gotta beware of these things. You gotta be on the lookout for these things. And the people that he was referring to were these people called the Judaizers. The Judaizers preached a false doctrine and they tried to mingle Old Testament law with grace. They would come to this church at Philippi who was thriving and, and these people got saved and they would be like, oh yeah, this is good, this is great, but you gotta become a Jew first. Yeah, 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 Jesus is awesome, Jesus is good, but, but you gotta follow the Old Testament law, right? You, you gotta become a Jew before you can be saved and, and basically what they were preaching was a works-based salvation. You gotta do, 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 do in order to be saved. You gotta do, 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 do in order to be right with God. You gotta give tithe, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, all those check marks, and then maybe you'll be saved. That's what they were teaching. And can, can I tell you, that's not, that couldn't be farther from the truth. No, the Bible is very clear that it's not about do. No, it's about done, right? The assurance of Jesus Christ. You can know today that if you die today, you can know that you're on your way to heaven if you've accepted Christ as your savior, because it's not based on works. It's not based on what I've done. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all in Jesus. The Judaizers were preaching otherwise. And so Paul says, beware of these people. Beware of these people because these people will steal your joy. Think about this. Think about you're just having a, a strong relationship with Christ. You accept Christ as your savior. And, and man, it's just, it's new, it's awesome, it's real. 
you're growing in the Lord, and then all of a sudden somebody comes in and is like, yeah, that's all good, but you got to do this now. This is the way you got to be. This is what you want to do. And, and technically, you're not actually right with God until you do those things. Can you imagine how hard that had to have been on them? How, how much guilt and shame they had to have felt in that moment, taking away their joy. But there's liberty in Christ. We got to remember this now. The sufficient work of Christ, that's the key to joy. But they were preaching otherwise. And, and we see those same doctrines and those same teachings in the world today. I can't even begin to describe the harm that false teachers have caused. I've been under false teaching. I, I went to a church that, that preached false teaching, and I, I'm so thankful that, that God saved me from that because, man, it was bringing down. And there are false teachers today, the, the New Age movement, the emerging church, prosperity gospel, uh, Bill Johnson, legalism, traditionalism, all these things, it could be categorized as false teaching. And, and, and we find out, and again, I say this, and this is a difficult message that I don't like to get into, but the words that Paul uses here, Man, he calls it out like it is. He's very harsh. He's very rough with these false teachers. And he does not hold anything back. So understand this now. As I'm getting into these things, these are not my words. These are the words from the Apostle Paul. All right, and he describes these false teachers in three ways. And it has to do with identity, industry, and instruction. The method of these false teachers. We find out he calls them dogs, number one. He says, beware of dogs. Now, when Paul called them dogs there, he isn't referring to my little pet dog, Trigger, right? He's kind of annoying. Sometimes I feel like kicking him and stuff like that, but, but that's not the dog that he's referring to here. No, Bible, in Bible times, dogs weren't domesticated. So whenever you see the word dog in the Bible, it's always dealing with an unclean animal and, and basically this dirty scavenger, this pest, this menace to society, right? And this is a reference to their identity. And you find it really interesting. This was actually kind of a, a derogatory term to these people because the Judaizers looked down on the Gentiles. Now, a Gentile is you and me. A non-Jew would be considered a Gentile. And the Judaizers, they looked down on the Gentiles. And you wanna know what they called them? They called Gentiles dogs. Oh, they're just dogs. They're just dirty scavengers. That's what they are. And Paul says, no, actually you guys are the dogs. But not only is he referring to them as, as dirty scavengers, in another sense, this can refer to them being wolves in sheep's clothing. You ever heard that saying before? Oh, they're just a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what these people were. Beware of those wolves. Beware of those dogs. They come in and, and they act like they think and believe the same thing, and then they, they lead people astray. They attack. And that's what Satan does. We see that from the very beginning, from the first century that started taking place, these Judaizers were it. And, and that leads to my second point here. So he says, beware of dogs. And then he says, beware of evil workers. Evil workers. Now this speaks of their evil character and their endless industry in spreading evil. From the very beginning, from the first century all the way to the 21st century, we see this taking place. And, and, and I'm not making this stuff up, guys. This is why it's so important for us to pay attention to, to what we believe, why we believe what we believe, and, and, and the authors and the, the pastors that we listen to, because I'm here to tell you, not all Christians are Christians, right? Not all people that have church on the front are Christians because they have false doctrine, right? And, and, and it's tough. And, and, and again, I'm not being harsh when I say this. These are the words of Paul, and these are the words from Jesus Christ himself, all right? This is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15. He said, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, 
but inwardly they are ravening wolves. We got to beware of that. First John 4, 1, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out in the world. We got to be careful of these things. We got to be careful of what we listen to. And if you think that, that this doesn't happen in small town Akron, I'm here to tell you today, I've had people come into this church, and I'm not going to name names, people come into this church and tell me that they are a prophet from God, that my child is not actually a girl, but it's a boy, and that I'm on my way to hell. This one person told me that. He's a prophet of God. I'm not. I'm on my way to hell. It happens in Akron. That's what I'm trying to say. False teachers, all right? We got to be aware of these things. That's why it's so important to know what we believe, why we believe what we believe. So he calls them evil workers. He calls them dogs. And then number three, and this is an interesting term, he calls them the concision. Beware of the concision. Now that word concision is an old English word. In our modern vernacular today, it would be defined as mutilation. Mutilation. Um, But this deals with the instruction factor. So we see identity, we see industry, we see instruction. And and we don't typically use that word concision in our modern translation today. Uh, But make no mistake, it was an awesome word choice by these translators. Because uh, Paul is actually making a pun on the word circumcision there. There's a play on words here. You see, in verse number two, he says, beware of the concision. But then in verse number three, he says, beware of the circumcision. Two different words. The idea of concision, you look it up in the literal sense, it means to cut up. But circumcision means to cut around. Now, you guys know what a circumcision means, right? The idea there, the picture is, you guys are just mutilating yourselves. Because they believed that in order to be right with God, you had to be circumcised. And Paul says, circumcision in and of yourself doesn't get you right with God. Now, that seems weird to us today, but that made sense back in Bible times. And he's saying, you guys are the concision. You're just cutting yourself up. You're just stabbing yourself. You're doing nothing. We are the true circumcision because we've been circumcised spiritually. Jesus Christ is in our hearts. Jesus Christ is in our life. And we are right with God. You see the picture there? Concision, circumcision. I think that's kind of cool. But, but this truth here explains what they teach and impose on others. So to apply it this way in our 21st century, to bring it back, they believed that for you to be right with God, you must be right on the outside. They cared more about the outward appearance, not the inward. And in application, Paul is saying with that word concision, mutilation in mind, Paul is saying there, hey, these false teachers, they are mutilating the grace of God. They are mutilating the doctrine of grace. This way of thinking was putting such a heavy burden on the church. And and these Judaizers were stealing the joy of God's people. And this is why Paul says, beware, beware, beware. And just as Paul is telling the church at Philippi to beware, guys, we need to beware today. Same false prophets, same false teachers are are in our life today. And, And they go by different names but their false doctrines are the same. One pastor said it this way. He said, the label on the bottle of poison is different, but on the inside, it's the same deadly poison. It's a joy killer. It's a joy killer. And you may be wondering today, you know, what is a false teacher? How can I determine what a false teacher is? Well, well, here's a good definition of it. A false teacher is anyone who either adds to or subtracts from the contents of the Bible. That's the best way to, to determine it. 
right? There's actually translations out there that have entire books taken out because they don't like what it has to say. That would be considered a false teacher. Those things, or, or adds to it and says, yeah, the Bible says this, but you need to do this, 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 this. Right? That would be considered a false teacher. And, and if I had to, to, to define it in one word in the 21st century, it would boil down to this, religion. Religion, false Christianity in the 21st century is religion. And, and in today's modern vernacular, the word religion is, is the idea of moral systems, a well-oiled system of trying to climb up to God, right? Trying to, to reach God and, and get to God. And it's about trying to earn God's approval and, and the approval of others by, by getting my act together and behaving well, right? I've got to act right. I've got to do this in order to be saved, right? That's religion. And sadly, guys, Many religious institutions claim that this is the way. And these institutions, they hold people hostage to man-made traditions, works-based salvation, and, and complex structures of false teachings. And almost none of their teaching can be found in the original message of Jesus. Many people have grown up in these oppressive religious structures. Maybe some of you today, I know I grew up in it. And they were raised to believe that the Bible isn't understandable, the Bible isn't relevant today, that God is only reachable through, through a prophet or, or even a priest, that Jesus didn't pay for all of our sins, right? And, and that keeping the law and tradition is the way to eternal salvation. But that could not be farther from the truth. This is a situation, uh, a system that holds people hostage to fear and anxiety. And, and this false Christianity is a robber of joy. And, and if you ask me why Christianity is dying in a sense, if you look at it statistically speaking, and, and young people are, are leaving Christianity altogether and they want nothing to do with God, I would agree with everything they have to say, but their idea of Christianity is that false Christianity. It's religion, that man-made traditional system. It hurts. Because I want you to know today, the Christian life isn't about religion. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who loves you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He loves you where you're at. He wants a personal relationship with you. He loves you unconditionally. And he says, hey, you don't have to earn anything. I, I, I'm here for you. I trust you, accept me. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But false Christianity, that takes people's joy away. So that's the second joy stealer. We see forgetful Christianity. We see false Christianity. But then number three, I want you to know this today. We see fleshly Christianity. Now, some people may not experience this false Christianity, right? I really don't know what that's like, and I'm so thankful for that. But I can say today that every single one of us in some way, shape, or form have been affected by fleshly Christianity. So look at what he says in verse number two. In, in verse two, Paul ends by saying, beware of the concision, right? In other words, beware of the people who put emphasis on the outward. But then look what he says in verse number three. He says, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirits, and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So in verse number three, Paul gives a contrast to verse two. He's giving a contrast there. He's saying, hey, this is a picture of counterfeit Christianity, but this, this is a picture of authentic Christianity, of true Christianity today. And, and if you study what's being said here, we find out that in verse number three, one of the marks of a true Christian is that we have no confidence in the flesh. That's how he ends, right? And that, that's the case with us, right? 
It's, it's not our righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We are putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his righteousness, right? We are abiding in Jesus Christ. That's why John chapter 15 says, without him, we can do nothing. I'm not confident in myself at all, dude. I'm a failure. I'm a sinner. But through Christ, I'm victorious. We're putting confidence in Christ, not the flesh. But, but remember, this is written in contrast to verse number two, indicating that counterfeit Christianity does place confidence in the flesh. It does place the confidence in themselves. And this could be described as fleshly Christianity, guys. A mindset of, ready for this? It depends upon me. It's about me. It's, it's up to me, a me-centric Christianity. And this is such a big joy killer today. You guys today, I truly believe some of you are being affected by this, this fleshly Christianity. It's up to me in order to get this, in order to do this, I have to earn God's approval. I have to earn my way to blessing and, and so on and so forth. And, and this idea implies structure, performance, self-improvements, and self-discipline. And none of which, none of those words are bad words. Those are really good words. But if we are basing that on our acceptance by God, that's where we get it wrong. That's where we lose our joy. You see, this mindset causes me to base my identity on my performance. And that causes a lot of issues in life. You want to know what it causes? It causes pride. Hardcore pride in your life and in my life. Because if you only make your outward appearance the basis of your acceptance, you can easily check off all the boxes, boom, 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 and then look down on everybody else, right? Look at me. Look at me, I'm a Christian. I, I'm faithful to church. I, I give tithe. I, I wear a suit and tie, buddy. I can look down on everybody else who doesn't. That's what the Judaizers and the Pharisees did, right? They checked off all those boxes, and then they sat up on the Sanhedrin judging everybody else. That's what fleshly Christianity brings. It brings pride, right? Pride in, in what you've accomplished for God. Look what I've done for God. No, what we've done for God is all God through us. But we can get prideful about that. I can think of a lot of churches like that, sadly. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. I know a lot of churches that love to hit that word abomination. I don't know what the biggest abomination is. Pride. It's pride. A lot of churches have that. A lot of Christians deal with that. Fleshly Christianity is an abomination and it's filled with self-righteous sinners. So it can bring pride. But the second thing, and this is what a lot of us deal with, it can bring stress. It can bring stress into our life. And, and this could describe so many of us today. This could describe what the false teachers cause into churches today if we are under fleshly Christianity. Normally, this, this idea of stress from fleshly Christianity takes place from people in churches like this that want a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. They, they want to learn from Jesus Christ and know Jesus Christ more, but they've been infiltrated by the fleshly Christianity mindset. And so they come to church and they leave church filled with stress. They live every day with stress, scared that God's going to give up on them or, or God's going to cast them down, right? It leads to stress. Because with fleshly Christianity, guys, you are constantly trying to prove your worth. You feel like you must earn your acceptance and, and you develop a subconscious mindset where you think, you know, I am affirmed as long as I am producing. I am accepted as long as I am useful. And, and you think to yourself, you know, I've got to read my Bible this much. And if I don't read my Bible this much, then I've lost the blessing of the Lord in my life. 
or, or I can't miss church or else God's going to put his wrath on me, right? Those, that, that type of uh, mindset, right? It's all up to me. That would be so stressful to think that way. And, and the moment you are unproductive and unuseful, your acceptance feels like it's in jeopardy. The loss of acceptance, security, and significance always hangs over our head, and, and we feel like rejection is just one failure away. That can be unbelievably stressful. And I believe that describes a number of us today. I could go as far as to say that I think all Christians have felt this way before. You see, the journey that we call the Christian life can swiftly move from being amazed by unconditional grace to feeling unable to measure up. It moves from a real relationship to a rigid religion. And, and, and we're prone to make our performance the basis of God's acceptance, just like the Judaizers here in the church at Philippi. But, but I want you to know, we get it all backwards. And often this grace in our life can be overshadowed by perceived expectations. The victory in Jesus can be overcome by failure and self, and it's easy to wander from grace and to find ourselves captive to lies and laws that drain us of our strength. You ever felt like that before? You slip up, you fail, and, and you think, I, I, I've done it again. God's going to take away my ministry. I've done it again. I've lost the blessing of the Lord. I failed God again. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe right now you feel like a failure, unfit, undeserving, unable, Perhaps you're disillusioned, defeated, despairing. Maybe a voice inside your head whispers, why would God even want me? You ever felt like that? Well, that's what fleshly Christianity brings right there. Many of us have been hurt by that type of Christianity. And this is the third joy stealer. But I want you to know today, guys, this is not Christianity. No, the, the truth is Jesus absolutely loves you. You may have disappointed yourself, but not him. You are weak in yourself, yes, but he's not weak. You may feel faint and wonder why he would care for you. You may fear you will not measure up or please him, but he's not measuring you up. He saved you from having to measure up. He fulfilled all the law because you couldn't. And in salvation, he gave you his righteousness in exchange for your sinfulness. And that's what the Bible says, guys. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hey, he isn't comparing you to anyone or anything else. You cannot possibly be more accepted in his eyes no matter what you do. You are his delight. You are his redeemed. Look at me now. You are complete in him, period. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. You are accepted if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Hey, we all long to find acceptance. We all long to be accepted. Getting picked last in PE, right? That hurts you. That feeling never goes away. We are created to have love and acceptance, and, and we crave that. But the sad thing is, we live in a world today that does not give that. But Jesus is here saying, hey, I give you that. I want a relationship with you. I love you, and it's not about do. It's about done. It's all through Jesus Christ. 
So we've looked at three joy stealers this morning. Forgetful Christianity, false Christianity, fleshly Christianity. Beware, beware, beware. But understand this now, the Apostle Paul doesn't end there. Now, I love how the Apostle Paul works. Yes, he, he gives us the beware, he gives us the negative, the joy stealers. But then he also describes to us the joy supplier. The way to have joy in spite of all of that fake Christianity today. And that brings me to my fourth point. Now, wrap up. Faithful Christianity. Authentic Christianity. You know, some of you guys may be concerned today, thinking, man, how can I know what is true Christianity and what's fake? It seems like there's a lot out there. How can I know? I never knew this before. Well, I find it interesting. It's, it's a lot like people who are trained in, in finding counterfeit bills. You know, when, when, when they train you in finding counterfeit bills to be able to determine what's counterfeit and what's not, you want to know what they do? They don't train you and show you a bunch of counterfeit bills to look at and study. No, they show you the real thing. And they say, you study this real thing, you study it and know it inside and out, and then you'll be able to tell what's counterfeit and what's not. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here in verse 3. He doesn't go on calling people out. He doesn't even mention the name Judaizers here. He's saying, I'm not calling these people out. I'm just going to show you what true Christianity is and let you do the rest. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, for we, for us Christians, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirits and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul describes to us what true authentic Christianity looks like. He says, true Christianity, this is what it is. We worship in the spirit. We rejoice in Christ. We have no confidence in the flesh. That's it. To say it this way, as true believers, our worship is in the spirits. Jesus said in John chapter four, we are to worship in spirits and in truth. Our worship is in the spirits. Our worth is found in the savior, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And our work is not dependent upon self. You want to know what it boils down to? It boils down to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, guys. From, from Genesis to Revelation, from start to finish, from beginning to end, it's not all about rules and regulations. It's about a personal relationship with Christ. And if you make that your number one, everything else will fall into place. A personal relationship with Christ. He's the true source of joy. He is the joy supplier. And he will help you every step of the way. So I close today by saying, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? 